Hi, and welcome to another episode of Ren Presents the Beacon. Uh, today, I'm joined by an aspiring veterinarian who has seen her fair share of shit in her lifetime and has come out the other side, has left a toxic environment a better person. Say hi to Kayla. Hi, everybody. I'm Kayla, the aspiring veterinarian. <laughs> <laughs> it's... A little difficult because, you know, it's your first time doing a podcast and you have yet to overcome that initial anxiety, you know, like, will you sound good? Will you say something stupid that people may pick up on and make fun of you for? Mm -hmm. But to be honest, you know, like the reason why we're here is so that we can learn from one another and I guess overcome some obstacles together, you know? So diving into today's topic, I really want to talk to you about toxicity because, you know, like we talked about a year ago and you were telling me a little bit about your your family life when you were younger. Things are much better now. But just growing up, like you were labeled the black sheep of your family. Uh, would you be able to like elaborate more on that label and what it meant and how it affected you? Um, yeah, so within our family, um, my when my sister went to therapy, she learned about something called um, the narcissistic family mm. and there's different roles in it. And so my dad was the overt narcissist, which is like the, like obvious, the obvious narcissist. The obvious perpetrator of all this yeah, narcissism. Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, one of the roles that my eldest sister had was the golden child, uh, mm. which sounds like nice at first, of course. But in reality, it's more like the one who the overt narcissist places all of their like expectations and projections onto. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is difficult as well because yeah. they're like the narcissist, the overt narcissist is looking at this person as the person that's going to carry on, I suppose, yeah. the legacy, which yeah. is a lot of pressure. Like, a lot of pressure. you're a kid. Yeah. You don't know what the hell to do. Yeah. You know, when someone tells you, like, oh, you're not doing well, like, do better, do better. Like, okay, tell me how to do better, though. You know, like, it's, yeah. it's difficult to be in that situation. And they're often like the most manipulated ones, too. Like, it'd be like, I guess, in a sense, grooming, like, oh, my dad would always be like, oh, um, like, daddy loves you. Just do this for daddy, blah, blah, blah. Or That's like, so gross. Yeah. Like, or like, if so he gross. would like screw up, he'd be like, oh, daddy, sorry. Don't be mad at me, blah, blah. Like, just a lot of manipulation. And so my oldest sister really got like the brunt of that the most. And then I don't remember what my other sister was, her role, but mine was, um, what is it? The invisible child slash scapegoat slash black sheep, mm -hmm. which is basically like the one that all of the, I guess, problems were blamed on. Like, oh, things are bad because you're a problem child, blah, blah, blah. But in reality, like, I was just the one that didn't sit down and take it, I guess, you know? And so that was seen as like defiant or disrespectful or, yeah. That makes a lot of sense because I was the same way. You know, like I was seeing things happen in my family where... They would label me the black sheep because of what I was doing. Because you speak out. About yeah, because it. I speak out. And I mean, that's one of the things about our generation that I really do love. Where, yes, we got it bad when we were younger, mm -hmm. but it's because of our nature where we want things to change, where we see yeah. like the brighter side of things, the grass is greener on the other side, all those like generic ass yeah. happy sayings, you know? <laughs> that and it can be different. That it can that be different. It shouldn't be this way. Yeah. So, and yeah. it's actually going to be different because. <laughs> you've experienced this before so in the future when you have your own family your own people in your life you're going to make sure that they don't feel that narcissistic disgusting love that manipulation yeah i mean how long or when do you remember all of this stuff starting to happen like how old were you um honestly my earliest memory is of like 
fighting and arguing and all that. And I remember like as a kid, I would have a lot of tantrums and like cry. But then like as an adult, I realized that it sounds really sad, but like all I really wanted was just someone to like be there for me or hug me or, you know, instead support of, you yeah, in a nice way. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not asking for much. That's the fucking yeah, thing. Right. That's what's so sad about it. But yeah. And then as I got older, I guess I realized like, it's not disrespectful to expect respect. That was a tongue twister, but <laughs> it was the best tongue twister because it has so much weight behind it. And that yeah. was well put, very yeah. well put. <laughs> like yeah. even just as a human being, like okay, yeah, you're the parent, I'm the child, but still as human beings, there's a certain level of like human decency, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that was probably one of the main things that drove me to like leave and move out and stuff because like with my parents it was always oh oh we feed you we clothe you so you have to like do what i say yeah i was like okay well if i feed myself and i take care of myself then you'll be in my life because i choose for you to be and you have to act right to stay so power move yeah it was a fucking power move dude (laughs) i love that and like going into it was it difficult to, like, you know, embark on your own, especially with, like, very little support from your family, the people who are supposed to be there for you? You know, like, of course, they were there to support you in the sense of having a roof over your head, having food to eat, having clothes on your yeah, like body. Survival. Yeah, survival. Yeah. But it wasn't good for you. It was detrimental. So, I mean, going back to it, what were some of the, like, initial hardships you had to overcome when um, you moved out? Well, I had been working since I was, like, 15 or 16 so I was already pretty well accustomed to it and I was pretty lucky that when I did move out um, I had a friend who had an extra room so I was able to rent that for pretty cheap because I was really close to his family um so yeah I was pretty lucky in the sense that like I had an easier start I guess um but yeah I wouldn't exactly call it easier you know because it's still like foreign territory and you're unsure of like how to proceed you know, so like over the next couple of years, what were you doing? Were you doing school, working, or school what was your main working. focus? Um, yeah, I was balancing school and working. Yeah. That's what makes it even more beautiful because it stands as a testament towards what you've been through, your experiences up until this point. And do you happen to have any like occurrences or memories that stand out as you look back on your experiences with your family? Um, yeah, one memory of when I was younger that actually like I still think about sometimes to this day is I think I was in second grade and then I was I don't know I was crying about something I think I couldn't sleep and then I had, oh yeah I had sleeping issues as a kid and I don't know for some reason whenever I did I would like knock on my parents door and be like oh I can't sleep and then I guess I did that one too many times that time period or whatever and then I think my mom was sitting with me in the bathroom because I was crying and she didn't want to wake up my sisters. And I just remember crying on the bathroom floor. And then she looked over at me and she said, I hate you to like a second grader. Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's crying. You know, like your child is crying and upset and that's your response. And then I remember I told her about that um, recently, like as an adult. And then she was like, oh, like, I'm so sorry. I didn't remember I did that, blah, blah. Um... But yeah, she almost couldn't believe it. But I think that just kind of shows how like your experiences as a child, you still remember them to this day and they still impact you, even if it was a minor passing comment. 
Yeah, but something like that has a lot of weight behind it, you know. And as you're younger, you don't really understand these emotions yet. Yeah. But as you like get older and you start to educate yourself, or the system starts to educate you on what love and hate and all these other emotions are, I mean, it just it hurts, you know. And yeah. it's tragic to hear that you had to go through such an experience from such a young age. Especially such formative years, too. Yeah. Uh, Do you know more about that? Can you elaborate a bit more on, like, the formative years of a child? Yeah. So what I learned in... Because I started going to therapy. And what my therapist was talking about is, like, our experiences growing up affect the way that we form attachments as adults. It's the different attachment theories. There's, like, secure, um, anxious attachment, and I think dismissive avoidant. And I formed an anxious attachment because the people who were supposed to be my like stable adult figures in my life were very, I guess, hot and cold. So like you still want that um, security and like protection from them, but you're not getting it. And so it just leaves you very confused. And so like, despite being pushed away and shunned, like you're still searching for that warmth, I guess, from your parental provider. yeah i mean who else are you supposed to get it from exactly yeah. you have no one else to go to i mean maybe yeah. like an aunt or an uncle or someone else but for the most part growing up your, your parents are there for you yeah so i mean just to hear that you didn't have that growing up i'm sorry Thank i really am you. Um, you. you know and i mean when you think about the future and like i guess the future say for instance you were to have kids i know that what you went through was really really damaging really harmful in a sense now you're a better person because of it and I mean, when you have kids, I mean, have you thought about what that would be like? Like what kind of parent you would be? Honestly, I'm a little bit scared to have kids because of it, you know, like just knowing how much impact you have on a whole living human being, you know? And of course, if I did have kids, I would want to be the complete opposite. You know, I would want to be loving and caring and I wouldn't want to, I basically wouldn't want to be my mother. Mm. But then at the same time, there's that fear that like, well, what if you are? You know, and I don't, part of me doesn't even want to take that risk, but the other part of me knows that like there's work to be done and you can do it and you can break the cycle. And you definitely will. That's the thing, you know, like you have a lot more power, not just you, but like a lot of people in this world have more power than they give themselves credit for, be it with the people that you affect on a day-to-day basis, Mm -hmm. just like your persona, I guess like being that little bit of light in everyone's life. Yeah. And you may not realize it, but some of the people that you hang out with actually really want to fucking hang out with you. They really want to spend time <laughs> with you. There's people out there that are looking for exactly what it is that you have to offer. Yeah. You know, and we kind of lose sight of that. You know, like I've lost sight of that for a while too, where I closed myself off to I guess just love in general from like friends, family, everything, because it was I want to say necessary. But it was my defense mechanism yeah. where I don't want to be, yeah, who wants to be hurt again yeah. and again and again? It doesn't make sense. Yeah. I guess one kind of bright side of like all of it is it made me a very like empathetic person because I know how it feels to be like to feel that low. And so I would never want like somebody else to. Like, I have a story about that too that my, uh, my dad told me. But it's good to hear that you're like an empathetic person because empathy is. Something that you can honestly teach to people, but to have gone through real life experience shows, or it gives you this more instilled nature of empathy where it's second nature. Like you never want this person or someone else out there to feel what the fuck it was that you felt, like how damaging and how painful it was, even though you didn't really understand what was going on. Yeah. And 
I remember one time I was younger. I can't remember what age. I want to say elementary school. So maybe seven, eight, nine. But we used to go to Long Beach a lot because we're, you know, we're Cambodian and um, Long Beach is kind of like the cultural hub for Cambodian people. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of shops out there, a lot of food and the cultures out there in a sense, you know. And uh, I remember my dad, sorry, there was a homeless person that attacked, not attacked, sorry, approached my mom and dad. And he was asking for money for food. And my dad had given him, I think, 50 cents, you know. But this guy kept coming back, asking for more money, kind of like insisting, like just kind of begging. Yeah. And I remember my dad lashing out at him saying, no, no more. Like, I can't give you any more. And at the time, that really hurt me because this guy, like as a kid, you're innocent, you're pure. Mm-hmm. You just want this guy to eat. Like if he's hungry, yeah. you've been hungry before. Yeah. You're just hoping this guy gets like a meal in his belly and he's happy. But as you get older, you start to realize like, oh, that's not that easy. Because he has four kids to take care of. He has a wife and himself to support. Yeah. You know? But it's just, it's so sad to see people treating each other like they're second-class citizens or like they're garbage or like there's... Holier not, than thou. Yeah. Like, you can't claim to be better than someone if you're treating someone with disrespect. It doesn't make sense. Like, this is something I saw a while back in a monologue by XXX Tantasion. Tantasion. <laughs> <laughs> Um, they were talking about how if you claim to be the superior being, be unmoved in your own home, in your own realm by the opposition. And I mean, there's countless other interactions I've had with my parents that I guess instilled this sense of empathy into me because seeing them and their lack of empathy had me feeling some type of way. Like, I don't want people to feel bad because of some, because of something I did. That's not fair. Like, we're all just out here trying to make the best of a bad situation. And just seeing like this lack of empathy, it's so gross, to be honest. It's like a, a poor character trait. Yeah, honestly. And like those moments of lack of empathy can honestly be really jarring and like stick with you for a long time. Um, like do, for do example, you have any stories? Yeah, oh, for example. Ooh, sorry to <laughs> <laughs> for example, when I was, I think I was still in elementary school. Mm-hmm. I told my dad, the only person that I reached out to for this, because I was scared. Um, I told him that like I was self-harming at the time because of my mom and his response to me was, Oh, don't ever tell that to me again. Um, that made me so uncomfortable, et cetera. What? Yeah. Right. That was his fucking reaction. Yeah. And that was kind oh. of just like, I guess a reality check for me as to like who my parents are. And yeah. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> I, I, I'm just, just hearing your story. Makes me feel some type of way because just imagining you as a child not having that support system, you know, like just what any kid should have someone yeah. to talk to, their parents, someone to like dig their head into and cry to, and I guess open up and have that feeling be reciprocated. Yeah. It's tough not to have that. Yeah. And it's kind of weird, like, I guess talking about it so like casually, kind of like mm-hmm. in a way I've kind of detached from it. Same. But yeah, right. It's like you detach yourself from it, but it's still like a really big part of who you are. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of like brush it off. Like, oh yeah, that, that happened to me, you know? And that's kind of what we do as humans. Like we disassociate, we detach ourselves from harmful situations. And sometimes people will come at you saying, oh, like, why are you doing this? Like, it's not them. They think that you're trying to hurt them, but at a certain point, it's not about hurting other people. It's about what's best for you. Yeah, that's the thing. Like setting those boundaries isn't meant to hurt the other person or be mean. It's to protect your relationship in the long run. 
which is pretty much what I did when I kind of detached myself from the family uh, by leaving, but then also emotionally and mentally. Um, they kind of took it as like, oh, you don't care, you're being selfish. But it's really not selfish to put yourself first sometimes and set those necessary boundaries for your own well-being. And that's something that we need to learn as, you know, growing adults or people as human beings, you know, like how to set a healthy boundary. And there's going to be times when like people will judge you based on your actions. Like they'll say, oh, you don't want to spend time with your family. It's not that I don't want to spend time with my family or with our families. It's what I need to do to ensure that our relationship with our families continue to continue or thrive, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's kind of like what you mentioned a bit earlier, right? How you did so just so that you can continue to see these people on a weekly or bi-weekly or monthly basis. And on top of that, you you have two younger sisters, right? I think you mentioned that a bit earlier. Yeah. And um, I mean, the best thing about that is, not best thing, but one thing about that is they're kind of going through what you went through as a younger child, right? How they're dealing with some of the um, narcissistic traits that your family <laughs> will instill in them. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, do you get a chance to talk to them at all or I guess offer them little words of wisdom to help them through what they may be going through? Yeah, so I do try to check in on them, um, see how they're feeling, kind of practice with them expressing their feelings because that's something they're not really used to. Um, Like when my stepdad and mom announced their divorce, I tried to check in with them, um, see where they're at. But you could tell they were kind of uncomfortable with it or didn't really know what to say. Um, Like when I asked when I asked how they're feeling, they literally said, what do you mean? I was like, you know, like, what do you mean? Do you even know how you feel right now? Yeah, I was like, like, do you feel sad? Do you feel scared? And they opened up a little bit, but it's definitely something to practice. And baby steps to work towards. And it seems like based off what you just told me that your parents themselves don't even really understand who they are and like how to deal with emotions. You know, like how old are your parents? Like give or take Um, like a ballpark. I think my dad just turned 50 and my mom's 48, I want to say. Yeah. But they definitely do not have like developed emotional intelligence. I mean, do you think that has to do with like raising a family from like a younger age? Because I feel like that does tie into it. I think definitely. Because my mom was honestly just a kid when she was raising my older sisters. Mm -hmm. So she was kind of growing up at the same time. So I think she didn't really develop those qualities. And yeah. I mean, there's that whole saying that you're not really an adult until you're about 25. Or that your brain isn't fully developed until you're about 25. So I guess like while you're at that younger age, you're still trying to get a grasp and figure out what the hell is going on. But if you have responsibilities and those responsibilities being kids, that's a big one. That's like the biggest thing that I can think of, you know, aside from like, you know, owning a business, but um, kids, you're responsible for another whole ass person. And I'm sure at a certain point that became quite the burden to bear for your mother too. It's like, have you ever heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? It sounds familiar, but would you be able to elaborate, (laughs) please? It's like basically a pyramid. And at the bottom of it is your basic needs, like your survival, food, water, etc. And I think there's social needs above that. Basically, it's like a progression of needs. And you can't work on the next one until you fulfill the bottom one. So, like, for example, people who are always struggling to survive, they don't know where they're going to sleep or eat. They can't, like work on their 
personality, you know, like they, social skills, yeah. or like work out making themselves into yeah. someone interesting and someone compelling. Yeah. They have to focus on surviving first. And so I think that kind of played a part into um, when my mom had my sisters, cause she was so focused on trying to survive and raise these kids that the higher parts kind of got neglected. Wow. That's also something I try to keep in mind. It's like, my mom's only human too. Like, yeah, while she did do all these terrible things to me, I still feel like, I guess that sense of remembering her humanity. Mm -hmm. As far removed as she may be from her humanity, it's still there. She was able to raise you and you're here because of her, which is like what people use a lot. Um, as a reason, like, oh, your mom raised you, like, she took care of you, she gave birth to you. So they make you feel some type of way because of these things. But what about the inverse when, I mean, mental health is becoming a really big thing nowadays. So say, for instance, what if your family instilled these negative narcissistic traits into you, you know? That's why I'm really proud of what you've done up until this point. And that's why I have a lot of faith in you and where you're going to go because you've seen hell, you know, like growing up was hell for you. And you were smart enough to remove yourself from a toxic environment for your own well-being. And while things are still difficult now because you're working, you have school, you have social obligations, you have your health to worry about. I mean, we mentioned um, what you thought of as your ideal life. Would you be okay with uh, talking about that openly now? Um, Yeah, sure. So my ideal life was just having enough money to live comfortably and do what I want without having to worry like, I don't want to have to always be on edge of, oh, I should save, I need a budget, etc. I just want to live freely and happily. And that's another important thing, because, I mean, to live freely, to live happily, and to, I suppose, raise your kids, if you want to have kids, or to, like, take care of your animals, if you choose to have pets, as opposed to, you know, kids, whatever it is that you choose to do, that freedom comes when you're able to take less time or spend less time working. Mm-hmm. You know, and the whole idea of like investing your money, having your money work for you is a really big thing. We'll talk about that some other time, another <laughs> episode. But that's the thing. Like, I think about this a lot. Like, say, for instance, you were to have kids. Like, my parents never had time for me growing up because they were busy working nine to five or trying to make money so that we can eat and have a goddamn home to stay in, which meant that I was left unsupervised for a lot of time. You know, like I had older sisters, but... They're not going to be able to stop me from playing with a bow and arrow in the street. <laughs> yeah, I did that. A bow and arrow in the streets of LA. I don't know. I remember how it happens, but I had a bow and arrow. And it's just the lack of supervision in a sense. Yeah. You know? And it's really ironic because like these kids are what you're working for. Mm-hmm. But because you have them, you have to work so much that you can't spend time with them. And it's just like an endless cycle. I mean, that was how it was before. But now, like after seeing what we've seen... I mean, I don't want kids until I'm chilling, where I can spend time with them, make sure that they grow up nurtured. Or not nurtured, but I can at least be there for them when they have questions or they're struggling or even when they're doing well. Just, like, be there for that kid. Yeah. And our generation is going to be the one to break that toxic cycle because we've all been there. We've all seen that. And we've experienced a lot of hardship, if not because of our family or our upbringing, then the empathy that we have for other people. Like we have this deeper understanding. Yeah. And I see it even now, like in my sister with my nephew, I can see the changes that she's made from like our childhood to his childhood. And I really love to see it. Like 
she holds space for his feelings. She's understanding when he has a tantrum. Like, it's just kind of like, I guess, everything coming to fruition. Everything, would you say, coming full circle? Yeah. Yeah. Circle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's, I guess, another positive of, I guess, what we went through is like, it brought me a lot closer to my sisters too. Um, I guess, recovering and, well, understanding and recovering and growing from what we went through. And kind of extending that into her children and our future children. And that's why I actually think like our generation is filled with so many fucking beautiful people. It's just we're stuck in this endless cycle of social media and not giving a fuck. Like it's cool not to give a fuck. I don't think that's the case. You know, like we need to make sure that if not for the sake of one another, then for the sake of the kids, the people that come after us, the next generation, we need to set them up for success. Yeah, it's honestly all about leaving the world a better place than when we found it. And you can feel it. There's there's a change coming. And we're going to be responsible for that change one way or another. Um, whether it's impactful and negative is up to you. I mean, that's the thing about having power in this lifetime. You know, we're only here for so long. And the fact of the matter is what you do in your day to day life will be part of the history that you leave or that you leave behind. So whether or not it's positive or negative is up to you. Like my new ideology ideology is to make sure that everything I leave behind is, if not positive, then at least helping someone else because I'm sick and tired of hurting people. Um, I'm just, I'm tired of it, you know? Unfortunately, that's all the time that we have for today. Um, Kayla does have some things to do and places to be. She's a very important person. <laughs> so um, would you happen to have any closing remarks by chance? Um, my closing remarks would probably just be, don't be afraid to do the things that you need to do for yourself and take those leaps because they'll be worth it in the end. Fucking words of wisdom. <laughs> oh, fucking amazing. Yes, yes, bitch. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for another episode of uh, Rem Presents the Beacon. Um, we'll see you again next time. Would you be willing to join me in the future? Um, when you know things solidify. Fantastic. It was a pleasure having you. Your perspective means the world to not just myself, but to everyone else out there that may be dealing with this. So thank you. Thank you for having me. That's all. Um, Thank you for the time. And until next time, my dear friends, bye-bye. Take care.